Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast, and thanks for joining us. We hope this encourages you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on how God is actively moving in your life. Enjoy the message. We're starting a series, and the name of the series is Be the Church. Now, that's our church's mission statement, and I've had some people ask, you know, well, you need a mission statement. You need a vision statement. And when I share our mission statement with them, people look at me that aren't from from our church, and they're just kind of like, duh. Like, be the church, right? But for us, that has a very specific meaning to it. As we live out our lives together as a church family, our desire is to live out scripturally what it means to be a church. And so inevitably, it would mean that we need sometimes to stop and recollect and recalibrate and talk about what it biblically means to be a church and what we look like to each other and what we look like to this community and what we look like in this world. Because if if you know anything and you've been a part of anything for any time, you know that many times you go through the motions, you go through the motions, you go through the motions, and then you get a few months down the road and somebody comes in and they remind you why you were there to begin with and you realize you've gotten off course. All right? Everybody say, be the church. I need to say this first. To be the church, I would be lying to you if I said that every single person in here is a part of the church. Across our doors, it says you belong, and you absolutely belong. 100%, unabridgedly, you belong. But you do not belong to the church until you are saved. This is not a humanitarian organization. This is not a political machine. This is not a club where we come and we make the pastor famous. This is not a place. This is not a cruise ship. This is a oil rig. And every one of you is a crew member, which means every one of us should be working. This is the church. And the church was formed on the day of Pentecost with those that identified with the death and the resurrection of Jesus and had confessed, had confessed that they were sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ was that Savior and that he came back from the dead. That is the church. Globally, that is the definition of the church. Now, as we go into scripture, we see that the idea of local churches popping up. And we've got these certain books in the New Testament called the epistles where people are writing specific letters to local churches. So when we want to understand what it means to be the church, obviously we're going to go to these epistles. And that's why we're in Ephesians 4. For those of you who have just started studying your Bible This was a letter that was written by Paul to the church in a place called Ephesus. Hence, Ephesians. It was a letter to the Ephesians. And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul explains to the church there what Christ has done for them. It wasn't by your works. It was by grace. 
And then in verse 4, he takes a turn. And in the first uh, word, he says, verse 2 words, I therefore. Now, we've said this a million times, but anytime you're studying scripture and there, something starts off with a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. It was linking to something, uh, something else. So we're going to start moving in, in verse 4. We're going to start moving into a lot of doing, some activity, some things we need to work on. But we need to understand that when you read the first three chapters of Ephesians, it is built upon the foundation of what Christ did on the cross and in his resurrection. How many of you are identifying with me? I have no desire to outcast anyone who is saved. In fact, I hope that when you hear about the joy and the pleasures of serving the Lord and when you see how much the real church loves each other, that the Holy Spirit would prick your heart and would draw you to Christ. There is not one thing, there's not one barrier, there's nothing standing in the way of your salvation. You have everything you need to believe. The word of God is being preached and that's where faith comes from. So I want to invite you right this very minute. Don't wait for an altar call. Stop fighting and just give in. Stop talking about it and start being about it. He has redeemed you. He has called you for a purpose. You don't have to pay the penalty for your sins. It's already been paid. Just receive it by faith. And that's my altar call. And if you want to be saved, the Bible says, confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. He died for your sins and he rose from the dead and you will be saved. So right now in your seat, you could just say it out loud. I am a sinner. Close your eyes right now. Say it. And and I am a sinner. I need a savior. I believe in what Christ did. If you're online right now, you can just whisper these words. Confess that Jesus is the son of God and that he raised from the dead. And you will be saved. So now I'm going to ask you to come into the living room of the church for a little bit. And these, this series is going to be for the church. So the end of every one of these messages will not end like it always ends. Is everybody with me here? I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul urges them to walk worthy in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He didn't say walk in a way so that you can be called. He said walk in a manner worthy of what you have already been called to. And so this is a passage yet again that reiterates the fact that we do not work for our salvation. It is a gift of God. But when you have been redeemed, it's hard not to walk it out. That'd been a really good time for a couple dancers to jump on the stage and us to play an old school song and walk it out. Okay, all right, I need to get going. We do not work work for our salvation, but we work from our salvation. And if you don't want to work from your salvation, I'd say go throw yourself back at the cross and look up and see the crucified Savior. See your sins on his shoulders, and then you will get motivated to work again. 
I hope I don't start this again today where I can't talk. Verse 2. <laughs> With all humility. Thank you, Lord. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I'll say that 10 more times. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity. Further evidence that the word unity is not a cuss word. Further evidence that when I say the word unity, I'm not attacking your political viewpoints. Further evidence that when I say unity, I'm not attacking whether or not you're going to get vaccinated or not. I'm talking about unity in the bonds of peace. He says we should be eager to maintain the unity, not passively maintaining the unity, but aggressively maintaining the unity. We can't be the church if we're separated. We can't be the church if we're constantly at odds with someone in the house. If you're sitting in the living room and they're in the kitchen and you won't go in the kitchen because they're in there, it's time to get it right. Eager to maintain the unity, willing to do whatever it takes, even if that means apologize when you weren't wrong. And even if that means apologize when you didn't think you were wrong, but when you apologize, you really realize that you were wrong. Excited, busting open the doors, not, not trying to figure out how I cannot walk on that side of the church because there's somebody sitting there that I don't like, but running to that side. In fact, scripture even tells us so much that if we're in worship and we're doing our best display of worship and we bought, brought the biggest offering that's ever been given that we should lay it at the altar. Don't even put it in the bucket and go get things right because we're eager to maintain the unity. But that is a lot easier said than done. Because some people are hard to get along with. Says the type of people who are hard to get along with. Says the type of people who are hard to get along with. Somebody who's easy to get along with usually doesn't make that statement. Where's your shouting now? <laughs> we can't strengthen the homes if we're not unified. We can't change the community. We can't go where we're going when we're a separate entity. So scripture, thank goodness, shows us how we can be eager to maintain the unity. That means we need to adopt some characteristics of Christ and allow them to grow and mature in our lives. And the first one scripture says is humility. The irony of this word is this, is that there was not a synonym in the Greek vocabulary to express what Christ meant with humility. So the early Christians actually coined a brand new word. This is a word that was invented by Christians to fully express what it meant to be humble. Putting someone above myself without lessening my own value. If we walk in the house, a servant to all, our feelings are very rarely hurt. 
If we walk in the house and our expectation is to meet someone else's expectations, then we usually fail to be disappointed because life's greatest disappointments are unmet expectations. So we, we allow this, this, this characteristic of Christ, humility, acknowledging, first of all, that as humble as we think we are, which is not a very humble statement, we struggle to show real Christ-like humility. Someone, that would get, someone who was the son of God, completely sinless, but yet would get on his hands and knees and wash the feet of the disciples. Even the one who would betray him. And you've seen it before, but even Judas got a sandwich too. He got his feet washed too. Humility. We see gentleness, which is power under control. It's strength that knows who it is and doesn't have to walk into a room and announce it. If you're going to do the work of a prophet, you need a hoe, not a scepter. You need some scrubbing materials, not a platform. Gentleness. We don't have to announce our gift before our name because our gift will make way for itself. By the way, if you have to announce your gift before you introduce yourself, I won't say that because that's not completely true. Let me just stop right there. I'll just let you guys fill in the blank. Humility, gentleness, patience. Patience is characterized by just not giving up. It's a spirit of persistence which sees defeat as temporary, not final. Sometimes we see patience as this real passive thing where I just have to put up with a bunch of mess. No, you shouldn't put up with wrong. In fact, you should correct it. But many times when we correct wrongdoing, we also threaten people that we're gonna ditch them and chunk deuces if they don't get it right. But patience says, you know what? What you're doing is wrong. I will not tolerate it in my presence. You will not treat me, but I'm here to stay. I ain't going nowhere. I don't cut people out of my circle. If you're under the cross, then I have a future hope and a future dream that one day we're going to get it right. But you stuck with me. In the words of Debbie Daniels to her husband, if you go anywhere, just let me know. I'm packing up my bags and I'm going with you. <laughs> Humility, gentleness, patience, love, which is the crown of all Christian virtue. Everything else flows from this. And the truth is this, is we could talk about love all year long and we still would struggle to get it right. Now, this isn't the point. Of my message, of the message, but we're just going through this in an expository fashion. So there's really not a point. Not power, not talent, not gifts do we attain the unity of peace. It's by humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Why? Because all four of these things will move you right out of the way. It forces you to look at the people you say you're doing life with in a brand new way, and you no longer become the center of the world. Verse four, 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. A lot of ones, isn't it? In fact, there's seven of them. And Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But great. Thank y'all for those of you who read the, the word voraciously. And like, I don't even really have to preach. I could just read the Bible. And, and you got you, somebody over there just... That's good. It ain't good to me. Can you tell me what you were thinking? Because I ain't getting it yet. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ. Gift. The word one is used seven times. The significance of unity is paramount to a church. I can't stress that enough. We will have to fight for our unity. We are so tempted, and you'll find out in just a minute when I get to the next part of the verse, and some of you are going to find out that I have an interpretation different than you. But if we believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him, we can be unified. We can be unified. Unity does not mean uniformity, though. It doesn't mean that, that Brother Nelson thinks the same way as, as Brother Thomas. It doesn't mean that we always agree. In fact, some of the most unified people are people that have the best arguments. Because they walk away, and I say argument like a Christian argument, where you passionately debate what you're thinking. You say what you're thinking in love to the other person. You don't hold back, and you hear what the other person is thinking. Some of the mo- In fact, I would say this, that real true unity can't happen until two disagreeing parties realize that there's something higher that they can unify uh, under. You know, pretending that we're all the same and that we agree is that's not unity. That's that's that you're unifying with your fake self. And that's not real unity. But I get caught up on this part. I know some of y'all were going a completely different direction. Too bad. I'm talking. But grace was given to each each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You know what this means? That every single person that has been grafted into the kingdom of God, you are saved. You have been given a gift. With your salvation came a gift. So I'm here to tell some of you, you are lying to yourself every day you wake up and you say, I'm not good at anything. I'm not, I don't have a gift. I have nothing to give to the church. You're a liar, liar, pants on fire. You have a gift. Look at somebody around you and say, you have a gift. Look at them. Somebody, you know what? Let me stop. Some of y'all think we just, do we do this? Look at your neighbor and blah, blah, blah. Right. Y'all think that's just a, that's just a preacher thing. It's not. We, sometimes we've got to stop and like speak life over each other. There's power in our words. That's why we say, no, for real, look at your neighbor and tell them you have a gift. You know why? Because they might need it today. You never know that person behind you might not have ever been told like you were told that you were special and that you had been called for a purpose. That before you were in your mother's womb, he had your gift just ready to give it to you. They might not have ever been, they might not have been raised like you were raised. They might not have the friends that you have. So find somebody and look them dead in the eye and say, you have a gift and it's non-negotiable. 
You got to find them. Someone tell them you got a gift. Let them know you got a gift. Which means this. You're valuable to the body of Christ and you have a God-decreed responsibility to take inventory yourself and with the help of, of the teachers and the leaders in your church to find the gift that God has given you and start using it. This is not an oppressive command. This is a liberating just a liberating thing to know that I wasn't just called to sit in neutral, but he gave me a gun and he loaded it and he wants me to use it to build his kingdom. You have a gift. You have a gift. You've got a gift. And there are more gifts than just the ones that get on this platform. In fact, I'll say this, biblically, those of us who stand on this platform, we're not going to be seen as greater than those who are behind the scenes. That's scripture. That's God's word. So why do we idolize the gifts that are on the platform? When God says the, the ones that can't be seen, that work with patience and don't mind being in a back prayer room and crying their heart out to God. Don't mind being in the nursery. Don't mind being in a dark room with a bunch of screens helping project the gospel. You guys are the greatest. I think I'm going to resign then. <laughs> I asked you a while ago, how many ministers are we are in, do we have in the house? Raise your hand again. I want to see. I need to just bring some of y'all up to speed. Everyone is a minister. Everyone is a minister. This thing called the Reformation happened a while back. And the separation between lady and clergy was obliterated. And people actually started to getting to read their Bibles. And then they realized that they could read what God had to say on their own. Every single one of you, 2 Corinthians 5.18, have been called to the ministry of reconciliation. Every single person, if you are saved, you are a minister. Now stop and ponder this thought. As a body, we have relegated the ability to flow in the anointing of the gifts to a handful of paid staff members. And here's what happens. Super pastors emerge, and when they fall, their churches crumble. The church staff becomes overworked, overtaxed. When there's a need, rather than calling your group leader, well, I need to call a, a pastor. By the way, I'm not mad if you call us. That's not, that's not the point. Does everybody hear my heart behind this? My heart is to be biblical, even if that ticks you off. What we get is attendees, and now this is not our church, but our church is growing, so it's important that as the church grows, that everyone understands the DNA of this church, this local body, and where we are headed. But what happens is when we, when we don't realize that we've all been called to be ministers, we, 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 become, we become okay with attending, just attending church, singing a few songs, and then tithing, and then leaving. Now, don't stop any of that. And, and, and listen to me now. We can talk about being the church outside the walls, but there's a whole lot in Scripture about us needing to be inside the walls together. We need the teaching. We need the singing. We need the prophetic voice to be able to flow. 
We need the gifts in the church, but every single one of you have been called to a minister, to be a minister. Now we've taken a lot. The reason this came about is because we've taken a lot of passages that are about gifts and we've, we've turned them into passages about titles and positions. Y'all following me here? I fully believe that there are people in this house who are not in any form of, of leadership in this church who have a prophetic gift, who have a pastoral gift, who have the teaching gift, who even have apostolic gifting set, and who have an evangelistic gifting set. Come to the second service, and I'll show you someone with a gigantic evangelistic gifting set and he probably doesn't even completely know it just yet. But one, one, one husband and one wife fills up this entire section, this entire section in the second service. Because they have this burning desire to see other people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I gotta keep going. Is everybody with me? You sure take some notes? I think you should. The position of pastor, shepherd, deacon, and elder are listed later in Scripture, and they are positions of service first, then spiritual authority. And we should respect and honor the leaders in this church, even if I'm talking about myself. It might seem like I'm scratching myself on the back, but I would be hurting you to tell you that you shouldn't respect the leaders of this church because they are God's appointed, delegated authority. That's why we should respect our president. Whether you like him or not, or you agree with his policies, God put him there. And if you don't think he did, we, we gotta, we're going to have an argument over scripture later then. But guess what? I ain't going nowhere. I still love you. But the calling of a few to lead doesn't disavow the rest of the body's calling to do the work of the ministry. So what if we took this mentality of be the church into our places of employment, into our children's extracurricular activities, our neighborhoods, a real true be the church mentality, which means this is that everyone is a minister. How many ministers do I have in the house? Let me see. Okay, well, y'all are still getting it. Some of y'all are still, you need to go home and you need to be like the Bereans and you need to study this out and make sure that I'm not lying to you. That's good. Verse eight, therefore it says, I need to keep moving. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. We could preach a message on that. And a lot of us would argue about what that actually means. But guess what? I ain't going nowhere. This is actually a quote from Psalm 68, 18. It's a messianic prophecy about what Jesus would do when he ascended to heaven. So when Jesus ascends to heaven, he sends down the Holy Spirit, whom the Bible calls the advantage. And when he comes, guess what he brings with him? Gifts. And he gives them to everybody. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles. Some translations say this, and he gave some to be apostles, 
some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds or pastors, and some to be teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. There are two interpretations of this, and I'll go over them real fast. One is this, is there's a group, there's one belief that God called a, a, a small group of people in each church and then gave them these gifts. And they are to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Many of you have heard this called the five-fold gifting set. Wait at me if you've ever heard this before. Okay, now if you don't agree with what I'm about to say, it's okay. I still believe that Jesus died for my sins. However, when I read this, I see the whole thing is about unity. I see the whole passage is about oneness. And I see that everything leading up to this is about gifts being given to all men. So when I read this, I naturally begin to believe that every person in this room has an apostolic gifting set, a prophetic gifting set, an evangelistic gifting set, a pastoral gifting set, or a teaching gifting set, or a combination of all five. And when you read about the gifts in all the other passages that are listed, if you actually look at them, most of the time you can grab them and you can slide them over into one of these categories. Regardless of what you believe about that, I think what we can't deny is this, is that we need all five gifts operational and mature in the church. Everybody with me? Good. Everyone is a minister. Raise your hand if you're a minister again. So real quick, I'm going to go through all these gifts. Everybody okay with that? Good. Doing it anyways. <clears throat> I want to go through, and you can take little notes. This might help you. The apostolic gifting set. Now, this is not to be confused with someone who hears revelations from God and then pins them, causing an addition to Scripture. Many times when people hear that I believe that the apostolic gifting set is still alive today, they're like heretic and then they run out of the building. I don't think that scripture is open. I think it has been closed. We shouldn't add one jot or tittle to scripture. There's nothing new to be added to scripture. However, I think when we study like the life of the apostle Paul and the other apostles, we see a, a, a set of, of skills and gifts. They are foundation layers. They are pioneers. They have the ability to lead the other gifting sets, orchestrators. They're leadership finders and they have a fathering or a mothering mentality. In immaturity, the apostolic gift can be harsh, brash, fast moving and demanding. In maturity though, this gift creates a safe place for all the other gifts to flourish. New paths are formed and people find their place of gifting and are placed into their appropriate roles. The prophetic gifting set. There are those who speak in consistency with both the Old and the New Testament. If the apostle is behind everybody up in a tree charting a path, the prophet is down on his hands and knees with his ear to the ground. Seeking to hear from the Lord about where the local church is spiritually. They're not just foretellers, even though scripture does say that there is some kinds of prophetic foretelling in dreams and in visions and in words from the Lord. But the majority of prophecy is forthtelling. 
In other words, walking into a room and having a discernment about where the people are. In its immaturity, prophecy is cynical. In its immaturity, those with the prophetic gifting find themselves to be extremely cynical and critique everybody. But it's in, in its maturity, the gift of prophecy finds itself on its knees, interceding for God's people. God doesn't just give you the gift of discernment so that you can become bitter and dark and cynical and hate the church. He gives it to you so that you can get in the prayer room and fall on your knees before God about it. I'll add this, that sometimes most of those that are operating in the mature prophetic gift kind of feel like an outcast wherever they go. If you want scripture, there's a big chunk of, of books in the Old Testament, a huge chunk of them, actually it's all of the Old Testament, where you'll see the prophet usually felt very outcast. The pastoral gifting set, this is the set of gifts that takes care of the needs of those in the church. I would call this the heart of the church. In this gift's immaturity, codependency happens. And if you don't know what codependency is, Hopefully you'll find out soon when you get involved in recovery alive. That's someone who is an aider and an abetter. In its, in, in its immaturity, this gift is often taken advantage of because of their desire to make others feel loved and to see them healed. But in its, in its maturity, the pastoral gifting set, when it's operating in a church, people are not just one to Christ, but they are healed. This is where you see counselors. This is where you see the, God, the gift of hospitality operating. And then finally, the teaching gifting set. It's characterized by the desire to teach God's word with an uncanny ability to not just learn, but to present information in a digestible way. Now, some of you in here and many people will teach that there aren't five, there are four, and that the teaching and the pastoral gift go hand in hand. I don't have a reason to argue with about it. There's no spoils for going to battle with you. In its immaturity, I'll say this about the teacher. The reason I like to point out the immature side of it is because we are immature sometimes. And some of us, we have feelings about our church and we have struggles with their church. And what we don't always realize is that that is our gift manifesting itself but through your immature self, through my immature self. In its immaturity, the gift becomes extremely critical, engaging in all kinds of semantical arguments and will develop a form of educational or theological elitism. In its maturity, the gift builds the faith of a church and provides meals for all levels. They can take a passage and turn it into milk and hold the bottle and feed it to a baby. They can take that same passage and turn it into prime rib and throw it at a mature believer and say, cut it up yourself. Why is it important that these gifts operate in our church? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, a unity again, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The point is maturity. 
But maturity requires unity. Maturity of the believer, maturity of the body of Christ, so that we can become a proper representation of Christ. Because when Christ was on this earth, he walked in all of the gifts in a complete way. Verse 14, what happens when we get out of this disunified mindset, we start identifying gifts in our church, we allow them to operate, we grow, we, we mature, we represent Christ better to each other and to the community and the world in which we live. But then there's another effect of all this happening. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. How many of you are tired of your childlike behaviors? Jeez. Sometimes I go through an hour and I look back and I'm just thinking to myself, who was that guy? I remember you when you were four and you were flailing on the ground throwing a tantrum. And now you just throw adult tantrums. Jeez. Where did that thought just come from in my mind? I'm tired of being a child. I want to grow up. How many of you want to grow up? Good. Well, guess what? When you grow up, we can all grow up. That's what the scripture's saying. We need each other. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. When the gifts are fully operational, we don't fall prey to these little schemes that come about every two or three years in the church. When the rest of the body of Christ is riding a cultural wave, a mature local body of believers is just growing and growing and growing. I'm not just talking about numerically, I'm talking about in maturity. But the truth is this, is that a church that is growing in maturity will by nature grow numerically because the evangelistical gift will be operating. Everybody doing all right today? Good. Wasn't Easter great, by the way? Man, what a great way to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. You guys outdid yourself. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. This is a loaded verse. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. Everyone is a minister. And to be the church, to really truly be the church, we need all the gifts operating in our church. But we need them operating in a mature way. Now I'll tell you this, we have tried our best to come up with a system of identify. Some of y'all are laughing at me because you're older and wiser than me. We've tried our best to develop a system of identifying the gifts in our church because that's what human beings do. We come up, a system is nothing more than just a way of making sure that when people walk into this church that they can get connected, that they can learn about the DNA of our church and we can learn about that person and find their gifts. And then on the third week, we get you plugged into the life of the church. 
How many of you heard that spiel before? Next steps. However, I will tell you that no matter how good the system is, the enemy is at work. He doesn't want you to love the person beside you and he does not want you to use the gifts that God has given you. And so if you didn't know this, now you know. And while we're the church, the leadership of the church is over here on this side saying, hey, we have this thing called Next Steps. You should go to it. You should attend it so we can find out. We kind of need a little bit more push from this side. Kind of like, I, have, I, have, I think I have a gift. Pick me. I have a gift and I want to use it. And so I'm encouraging, I want to challenge you to knock the door down in the service in this church. Now, you can fill out a connection card. Man, I'm preaching really long today. Thank you. You have to say that, don't you? <laughs> what are you going to say? Shut up. <laughs> Sit down. Uh, move it on. Okay. Um, but while I want to encourage you to use your gifts in this church, what I'm really getting at is that everywhere we go, we can be the church. Some of you need to go home and you need to get that little league coaching shirt that you're going to slap on this week when games finally start. And you need to peel the words coach off and write minister in big black sharpie. Yeah. And when they call for the coaches to come to home play, refuse to go to home play until they identify you as a minister. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. That's one of those clips somebody would take out and just make a whole little YouTube channel about it, right? Now, nobody cares about me that much. Whenever you go to your job and you see your title on your front door, you walk by and you shake your head and you just smile at that title, but you know what it really means. What it really means, it means Minister Kevin. And, and on your card, it might say licensed plumber, licensed HVAC, licensed contractor, licensed everything under the moon like Arthur Creech, but you can just scratch all that out and just write Minister of Reconciliation. I'm not just a coffee shop owner. I am a minister of reconciliation and this is my place of ministry. I don't just take photos, I capture moments. And then, and then, and I, I'm invited into the most sincere and the most intimate moments of people's lives where I have the chance to show them the, the hands and the feet of Jesus. I don't just work in a warehouse, I'm a minister. I, I'm, not, I'm not just a teacher. I'm a minister. You can teach them God's word. You don't got to write the reference on the board. Quote Bible verses all day. But we are ministers. And if we're going to be the church, we're going to be committed to each other. We're going to be committed to unity. We're going to be committed to helping each other mine out the gifts that God has given us. And when that happens, we will in turn equip each other to do the work of the ministry. And when that happens... We become mature and we become a proper representation of Christ to each other and to a lost and dying world. And when that happens, we get off of roller coaster Christianity and we're just going uphill. We might hit a bump in the road, but thank goodness I got a, a mature gift beside me to help bring me up. Won't you stand with me?
We hope that you have been encouraged today. And if you're looking for more information about who we are as a church, you can visit us online at Bethelchurch.info. Be sure to join us again next week as we continue to grow together in God's word.